Well, all right, good evening, everybody. Good to see you in the house. How many of you, this is your first weekend back to church? Raise your hand if you're here. Let's cheer them on, everybody. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here. Now, I, on my Sundays, I am normally hanging out with New Life Downtown at Palmer High School. And this service is hosted by the New Life Downtown team. That was our New Life Downtown worship team. Brian and Amy and Travis, didn't they do a great job? You can uh, let them know. Yeah, let them know. That's good. And, uh, but, but you don't have to be a New Life Downtowner to come on Sunday nights. I just want you to know that. We're happy to be the hosts and to welcome you all. So we're so glad that you're here. Um, before we start tonight, I just wanted to tell you about something that we uh, are about to launch at New Life Downtown. If you're a downtowner, you're familiar with this, but we have, for many years now, four or five years, um, run a program called Alpha. And Alpha is a way to have people uh, bring their questions about faith, the meaning of life, uh, Christianity in particular, and have safe conversations about it. They can bring their objections, they can bring their angry, uh, whatever, they can bring all of that, and they won't be met with arguments or counterpoints, but, but really with uh, a welcoming heart to say, well, tell me more about that. Tell me why that's uh, important to you. Now, normally Alpha happens over a meal, but in these interesting times, we are going to do something we've never done before. We're going to launch Alpha online. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. This, this started in the UK out of a church in London, you know, decades ago and has gone around the world, but they have said they've never done it online until, until this whole COVID pandemic thing, but they said since they've done it online, they've actually had about twice as many people participating because of the time of crisis, maybe because the online thing has lowered people's barriers to their questions, to their curiosity. And here's what I want to say, church. We are, we are living through a, a pivotal and difficult moment where lots is being revealed and being unearthed. And we're going to talk about some of that later tonight. But I want you to also know that there is a spiritual dimension to all of this. There are spiritual realities and the great kingdom victory that we want as a church. One of, one of the things that we want to do is for people to be called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. You believe that? That's what we want. And so Alpha could be a perfect way for you to say, you know what? I know you're struggling. I know you're wrestling. Would you consider joining us? And so the, 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 if you could put the slide back up, it launches on Tuesday, June 16th online. There's a little website there to register. Anybody, anyone that you know uh, can do it and join in. It'll be a great time. Sound good? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray as we open the scriptures tonight. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you call us, for the way that you uh, challenge us and confront us and comfort us, strengthen us. We pray now that we would be opened up by your Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our eyes to see you, open up our ears to hear you, open up our minds to understand and our hearts to believe and to obey. We thank you for your word. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. amen. When our son was about uh, four years old, he's now 10, 10 and a half, but when he was four years old, 
I um, began coaching his soccer team, and a buddy of mine and I, we kind of co-coached it, and we had a core group of players that stuck together for about four years, and uh, I have to say, I learned a lot about myself in those four years of coaching recreational league soccer, and uh, I, I discovered that there were people like the volunteer coaches of the other teams who thought that the whole point of four-year-old soccer was just to have fun. And I thought, well, we're not just here to have fun. Of course we're going to have fun. But you know what's really fun? Winning. Winning's fun. So let's try to win, and then we'll have fun. And so I, over the course of four years, we did a lot of stuff. I mean, we were teaching the kids how to do spacing and how to work their way down the field and how to cross the ball. Other people were doing like the bunch ball thing, and they called it soccer. We were doing like real soccer, you know, as four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And I have to say... You're not supposed to keep score, um, but I kept score. And, and I know for a fact that out of 64 games, there were eight games a season, fall soccer, spring soccer, out of 64 games, I'm pretty sure we won 62, possibly 63, and there was one tie, and it, I lost sleep that night. <laughs> but I discovered that sometimes we get the goal wrong, and we think the goal is to have fun. Well, if the goal is to have fun, then you're going to be okay with anything. You're going to be like, if a kid wants to pick the flowers on the field, you're like, sure, go ahead, you know. But if the goal is to win, then you can have fun, right? So it's important that we understand before we, you know, enlist in anything, before we start in an activity, what's the goal of this thing? And tonight, as we go on in our series in the book of James, we're going to wrestle with the question of what is the goal of the gospel's work in us? What is the goal of our faith in Jesus Christ? Is the goal to say, oh, well, glory to God, I'm going to heaven, and you know, it's just great, I'm part of the Jesus Club. I got the fish sticker on the back of my car, I'm in. Is the goal sort of this, well, forgiveness of sins, and I got my afterlife questions sorted out? Or is the gospel supposed to produce something more in us. Is Jesus Lord of the afterlife, but for now we can just figure stuff out on our own? Or is Jesus Lord of all, and is the gospel meant to actually transform us? So we're in the series uh, through the book of James, and the series is called Walk This Way, and tonight as we look at James uh, chapter 2, we're the second half of James chapter 2, we're going we're to talk about what faithful obedience looks like. What faithful obedience looks like. Last week, we looked at the first half of James 2, and we, we talked about how favoritism is a contradiction to the faith. How favoritism runs counter to who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so now, in the second half of James 2, it's like James is saying to us, okay, so if that's a contradiction to the faith, what's a confirmation of the faith? What does it look like to actually have the faith look lived out? The book of James, written by, uh, by church tradition, it's, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And this book kind of follows a, a, a type of literature known as wisdom literature. So if you're wondering, well, there's some stuff in James that sounds like the Proverbs. That's right, because it's wisdom literature. And if you say, well, there's parts of James that sounds like what Jesus taught in Matthew's gospel. That's right. You see Jesus' teachings being pulled through here in James's letter. And so as we read here, let's start with James 2, verse 14. He says, my brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? 
Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claim their faith that can't save anyone. Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually, if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. If you have a Bible that you're underlining or that you're circling, which is not a bad practice, by the way, you could do that. Circle that phrase, faithful activity, or however your translation puts it. And then verse 18, someone might claim, oh, well, you have faith, but I have action. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. And now James kind of drives the knife in a little bit deeper. It's good that you believe that God is one, James says, tongue in cheek. Ha! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble with fear. (laughs) How about that? You're like, I don't know, is James a good pastor? It's kind of sarcastic. Ha! Even the demons believe. It's as if James is saying, I just talked to you about what's a contradiction to the faith, but now let me tell you what's a confirmation of the faith, and he says, works. Now right away, good Protestants that we are, we say, wait a minute, brother, that can't be right. You wouldn't be the first to object. Martin Luther, the great reformer, referred to to the book of James as an epistle of straw, which Possibly straw was a euphemism for toilet paper. That tells you what he thought about this letter and what its use was. And this is because when you hear a verse like this, you're like, wait a minute, why do I need works to confirm my faith? We're saved. And right away we go to Ephesians 2, right? Paul writing to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the, say it with me, the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's true. That is true. That is also the word of God. Our works don't save us. Our works don't earn our way. And yet, works act on the other end of our faith to demonstrate it, to confirm it. But it's also helpful if we recognize that Paul and James are using these words in somewhat different ways. Okay, let's do a little, let's do a little experiment here. Okay, what if I said to you, think quietly to yourself, what is the best Burger, fast food, the fa- what's the best fast food burger uh, in America? And you're like, okay, okay, in and out, yes, hallelujah, it's coming, it's coming. By faith, it's coming. In and out, some sort of what a burger, if you're from the south, maybe. Freddy's, okay, it's not far, they're open after church. A five guys, smash burger, and then there's always one, one person will say, Chick fil A. You're like, man, that, I mean, it's not a burger. And then someone else would be like, Arby's roast beef. And you're like, bro, come on, it's, that's not a burger. And all of a sudden, you're answering the same question, but you're using the word in different ways. You're using the word burger in different ways. For some people, a burger is two pieces of bread and, a, and, and meat in between. So anything qualifies. Roast beef, fried chicken, it's all fine, right? But it, it, we're confusing. In a similar way, <laughs> Paul and James are using the word works in slightly different ways. 
So I want to show this to you tonight, okay? James, what does James mean by works? Well, look at his letter. He's referred to things like caring for the widow and the orphan, James 1.27. He's referred to loving your neighbor and fulfilling the law of Christ. He's referred to showing a special kind of favor to the disadvantaged or the marginalized. That's what we talked about last week. And when James talks about works this way, he's echoing his famous brother, Jesus, who said in Matthew's gospel, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, say it with me, good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So what does James mean by works? Let's put it this way. For James, works are the good deeds that lead to God's glory and the world's good. There's several ways we could define it, but let's just put it this way. What what does James mean by good works? He means the kinds of deeds that point to God, lead to his glory, and that lead to the good of the world. It results in the widow and the orphan being taken care of. It results in, you see what I'm saying? But Paul, how does Paul use works? What does Paul mean by works? Well, Paul means something a little bit different. For Paul, works referred to specific Jewish practices that marked them out as members of God's covenant people. Now, there's a long story to this. We can't get into this tonight, okay? But most of the time, most of the time when Paul talks about works, he's talking about specific works of the law. There's a phrase he has in mind, and he's thinking of circumcision, Sabbath observance, dietary restrictions, certain things that in the first century functioned like an ID badge. And Paul was saying, you think that you needed to show your Jewish ID badge so that you could prove that you're a member of God's covenant people. And I'm saying to you that faith was the original ID badge. Remember your father Abraham. This is Paul's logic in Romans and Galatians. He says, let's leapfrog backwards the law. And what was the original membership, quote unquote? It was faith. And so Paul says, don't get all caught up about your specific way. And this relates to last week's sermon about how we're always trying to draw our own circles of who's in and who's out. And Paul's like, you you found a way to draw a kind of members only club. And he's like, yeah, those ID badges have expired. And the original membership into God's people is faith. And so then when Paul talks about works, what's he referring to? Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything. That's his way of saying, yeah, you used to have this ID. I mean, just imagine this. You're you're in the airport. One day we'll fly again. And you go to the airport and you need your ID. And they're like, oh, actually, put your driver's license away. You don't need an ID. Just everybody walk through. Glory. Like, oh my gosh, no lines at TSA. Probably it's going to be the reverse, right? But this is, this is the idea of Paul saying, no, 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 you're hanging on to an old badge of membership. It doesn't count for anything, but only, here's the phrase, faith working through love. But don't miss that word, working. Paul believed that faith works. Paul believed that faith shows up and works. Look at Romans. A lot of times people say, oh, well, Glenn, if you really understood justification, just read Romans, brother. Paul doesn't believe in works at all. Let me show you Romans. Romans 1, verse 5. Through him we have received God's grace in our appointment to be apostles. This was to bring all Gentiles to, I've underlined this for you, say it with me, 
faithful obedience. What's the goal of Paul's gospel preaching? To bring people into faithful obedience. The bookend of his letter, Romans 16 now, verse 25. May glory be to God who strengthens you with my good news and the message that I preach about Jesus. He can strengthen you with the announcement of the secret that was kept quiet for a long time. Paul, what is it? Now that secret is revealed through what the prophets wrote. It is made known to the Gentiles in order to lead to their faithful obedience on the command of the eternal God. If you ask Paul, Paul, what's the goal of all of this? Oh, it's just to have fun, kick the ball around, maybe pluck some flowers and go home. Uh Uh-uh. Paul's like, no, the goal of my gospel preaching, Paul says, is faithful obedience. That's what he wants. And as it turns out, it's what Jesus wants. You remember the end of Matthew's gospel? Jesus is commissioning his disciples and he says in Matthew 28, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and have them fill out a confession card and stamp their passports for heaven and then tell them just to live like however they want to live because they can't lose their salvation. They're just gonna go to heaven. That's not what it says. (gasps) Gasp. Jesus is the whole point. Disciple them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the present age. Listen, friends, the goal of gospel proclamation is faithful obedience. The goal of gospel proclamation is faithful obedience. Now, here's why we have trouble with this, because we have been told that Christianity is a private, internal, inward, personal piety kind of religion. So if in my heart, me and Jesus love each other, and I have cuddly feelings about Jesus, then does it really matter if I'm loving my neighbor? We will never see the connection between the gospel and justice if we miss the connection between the gospel and obedience. We'll never see, we'll we'll be like, Pastor, why do you keep talking about social issues? Because faith is meant to work itself out. The goal of the gospel transformation is not good Jesus-y feelings. It's not personal piety and nice little inner affections. It's transformation so that we become radical servants, radical lovers of people, the ones who serve and give and sacrifice and obey like Jesus did. Uh, we, We don't want to be a church that comes in and sings cute songs and prays nice prayers and go home feeling good about ourselves. Aren't we nice? We're all Christian-y. The goal of gospel proclamation is faithful obedience. What does it look like? Well, James gives us a few examples. James, like Paul, points us back to Abraham. Just read this with me. I'm just going to read this out loud. James 2, verse 20, he's, he's, (laughs) Pastor James, are you so slow? I mean, could you imagine being the person reading this letter to the church that day? This is from James. <clears throat> he said, are you so slow? What was that? Are you so slow? <laughs> like, man, James, I think we think that Christianity is all like a bunch of nice, polite people, you know? Like, guys, if we're going to read the Bible, let's read it. Let's read it. Here's James. Are you so slow? Do you need to be shown that faith without actions has no value at all? What about Abraham, our father? Wasn't he shown to be righteous through his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You're like, oh yeah, that's a pretty extreme version of obedience. 
See, his faith was at work along with his actions. In fact, his faith was made complete by his faithful actions. So the scripture was fulfilled. It says that Abraham believed God and God regarded him as righteous. And what is more, Abraham was called God's friend. So you see that a person is shown to be righteous through faithful actions, not through faith alone. Bristle, bristle, bristle. <laughs> wow, James, you're really, and then, and then he goes on, he says, okay, Abraham, maybe, maybe it wasn't enough to point you to the father of the Jewish faith. He's talking to a mostly Jewish audience, James is. Now he's going to go and meddle, and he gives an example for, of a Canaanite prostitute. You're like, gee whiz, James. You're basically saying that a Canaanite prostitute had this faith and works thing down better than we do. James is like, thank you for reading between the lines. Verse 25, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous when she received the messengers as her guests and then sent them on by another road? It wasn't enough for Rahab to say, yeah, I'll be loyal. She did something that put her life on the line. Abraham's obedience put his son's life on the line. Rahab's obedience put her own life on the line. I like, I like this in the Bible because even though it's the story of God at work through his people, the descendants of Abraham, there's always these examples that kind of show how quote-unquote outsiders are more righteous than the quote-unquote insiders. It's meant to be a rebuke to us church folk. Us church people who are like, no, I'm, I'm not like the world. Do you see what the world is doing? And once in a while, they'd be like, well, do you realize that sometimes the world does a better job of living like Jesus than you do? That's what James is saying. By using Rahab as an example, he's kind of saying, you guys are so good at the Jesus like stuff, the Jesus trappings and the Jesus sort of, you know, songs and all the stuff. It's just so great. But, but what about the Jesus teaching? Oh, I don't know about the Jesus teaching. Evangelicals, guys, and I'm speaking to our own tribe. Evangelicals are notorious for imagining that the Gospels only contain a crucifixion story. The only thing we know about Jesus is he died for our sins. That's great. But he had a lot of things to say about how to live. He had a lot of things to say about caring for the poor and doing justice. He had some strong words for religious leaders. Oh, brother, a pastor, I just, I mean, can we not talk about works? I just want to talk about the cross and my faith. James is going to go ahead and use Rahab to rebuke us. That's what's going on here. Faith is not simply a confession of trust. It's a pledge of allegiance that gets embodied in obedience. Faith is not simply a confession of trust. We've gotten so good at this thing. Oh, well, what's faith? Well, faith just means to put your trust in Jesus. It is that, yes. But this word for faith in the New Testament, this Greek word for faith, has more overlap with our English word for allegiance. That that is a strong word. Look, we live in a city with more military installations than any other city in America, right? We understand this. You understand duty and honor and the flag and allegiance. Channel all of that and apply that same mentality toward Jesus. That saying yes to Jesus is not like an optional, like, I, mean, I think this is cool, I'll just, you know, just try it. Okay, 
Seekers, welcome. Wherever you are in the journey, you're welcome. But I just want you to know the goal of gospel proclamation is faithful obedience. The goal is not to say, we're just hanging out. I don't know, we're just checking out church. I like Jesus, but I also like this other stuff. And I just, I kind of want to keep my options open. I mean, I like Christianity, but I'm not sure. I like its teachings about sexual morality. And I'm not sure about this. I just, but, I, but Jesus, he's kind of a nice guy. Wait till you start reading the gospels. Faith is not just a confession of trust. It's a pledge of allegiance that gets embodied in obedience. So I want to fire your imagination a little bit. What could this look like? What could this look like? Last week we said that favoring the powerful for your own gain is why the Bible rebukes favoritism and it's a contradiction to the faith. And we said God himself favors the weak or the marginalized. So it's not enough to say, okay, well, let's not do the thing that contradicts the faith. Great. You know, repentance is a turning away. But then there's also a new way. That's why we call the series Walk This Way. We're turning away from one way, but now I want to walk in a new. So, so, so here's the question for us, okay? So we say, okay. Glenn, I, I was challenged last week. I don't want to show favoritism or racism. I, I don't want that. And I was so encouraged to receive uh, emails and messages from you guys over the week saying thank you for that. But here's my challenge to us. You believe that Jesus has torn down every dividing wall. You believe that Jesus cannot stand in his church a division by ethnicity or gender, all of that. You believe that Jesus puts together what the world and sin has divided. You believe that. So what action could express that conviction? What are some actions you could do that would live out that conviction? It's very easy to say what you're not. I'm not a racist. Good. But are you empathetic? Are you listening? Are you working towards reconciliation? Are you considering ways to work for justice? Oh, I don't know about any of that, Pastor, but I am not a racist. James says, I like your faith. Now show me what it looks like in action. Show me what it looks like. Go on and take the next step. Earlier in this week, Pastor Jason sent an email to the downtowners because so many of you asked, I said, well, what could I read? What could I learn? Listen, I, I, it's interesting for me. You know, I, I've lived in the, in the United States for 27 years. I'm 42. 27 out of my 42 years have been lived in America. But I feel like I'm walking in on a 400-year family fight. And I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to catch up. And there's a lot I didn't learn. I've lived in Oregon, I've lived in Oklahoma, and I've lived in Colorado for 20 years. But I've never lived in Birmingham, Alabama. I've never lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I want to learn the pain of it. I want to understand what 246 years of slavery does to an entire group of people. I want to understand how after emancipation, an additional 99 years of lawful discrimination. 
I want to learn what redlining did to neighborhoods. I want to learn how bankers refused mortgages to middle class and upper middle class black families while they gave notes to those same homes in those same neighborhoods to poor white families just so they could keep neighborhoods white. I want to learn about that. I'm 400 years late into this family fight. But it's not enough for me to say, I care about reconciliation. What are you doing about it? Oh, I just believe it in my heart. I know. It's uncomfortable. I want to learn what it looks like. I want to encourage you to take time to read, to watch, to listen. I don't want you to get distracted by slogans and headlines. It's very easy to look at the big thing out there. Oh, God, look at those riots. Mm -mm. Jesus keeps saying, here's the individual. Here's the person. Do you know their pain? Do you know their story? You've never experienced it, but could you ask what it's like to be someone else? That's what faith in action looks like. Faith in action looks like taking care of needs. I'm so proud of how you've rallied to this in these last 12, 13 weeks. 12,000 pounds of groceries you donated and have been delivered. It's an incredible thing. Tonight, actually, today I got a note from our outreach director saying they've been doing some work in a correctional facility in Trinidad, Colorado. 500 inmates. They said since they've been doing ministry at this correctional facility, 160 of them have come to Christ. Isn't that amazing? 160 of them. And their goal is to send now a care package for every inmate at this correctional facility. They they want to send 500 care packages. They're short by 150. So tonight, on your way out, if you're like, I need something to do right now, go to the info counter, find out an info. It, it, It costs about six bucks per care package. They'll give you a detailed list. They'll say, these are the things it takes to put the package together. All the instructions are there. I won't read it all to you here, but we just need 150 more of those. You can do that. That's what faith in action looks like. But it also may look like just encouraging one another. You know, one of the things we haven't realized is we're living through the pandemic, living through a quarantine. We're all a little bit raw right now. Have you, have you felt that? You're like, someone says something, you're like, Bleh. and if you haven't felt it, just go on Facebook. No, better, just don't go on Facebook. We're all just a little jumpy. <laughs> So maybe faith in action looks like encouraging someone. Maybe faith in action looks like saying, man, you're doing a great, thank you so, you're doing a great job. I talked to a pastor friend of mine this week. He's like, man, I'm getting beat up. I didn't do this right. I, did. I mean, it's like nobody's ever led a church through a pandemic before and then switching your whole model to online. And then you add all of this stuff and they're like, oh, you didn't say this right. I'm leaving the church. You, you didn't say enough. You said too much. You said the word racism. I don't believe in that. You've gone liberal. You've gone right wing, whatever. Pick a, pick a claim. <laughs> I've gotten the email. I mean, my friend has gotten the email. <laughs> Just encourage one another. What if faith in action could look like that? What if it could look like that? You say, well, how is this really possible? How does God really make this possible? You know how it's possible. James doesn't spell it out for us, but Paul does. It's the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit. See, what James calls faith with action, in a way, is like what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. What James calls faith with action, Paul says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Spirit's work. So here is a challenge and here is an invitation. The challenge is to not try to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. (laughs) I know that's really hard. The challenge is not to say, oh, hey, I see that you're not fill in the blank, whatever. You didn't go, you didn't post, you're, don't, don't, don't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. I can never produce the fruit of righteousness in another person. I can't as a father, I can't as a pastor, I can't as a friend. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit of the Spirit. So let's, let's let him do that job. Can we, can we do that? We know that the fruit of the Spirit looks like Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, right? But we also know that it's gonna look like that specific person. So the fruit of the Spirit in Colin's life is gonna look a little different than mine. How about we withhold some judgment? How about we withhold some judgment and just say, Holy Spirit, you, you gotta work in my brothers and sisters. I cannot produce the fruit in them, only you can produce the fruit in them. That's the challenge. The invitation, the invitation is for each of us to start each day and to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my life today? Where do you want to lead me today? What step of obedience do you want to challenge me in today? What work of yours can I participate in today? What if our invitation every day was, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the worship team, you can come up now, Holy Spirit produces the fruit of faithful obedience in us for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Would you stand with me tonight? the invitation of the Holy Spirit friends don't get distracted don't let your triggers of anger this is why James says be slow to speak quick to listen everything James has been saying in this letter builds this moment don't let yourself get so worked up and caught up in this and that and ranting and raving that you're so concerned about big issues quote unquote that you miss the biggest issue of all, that the Holy Spirit wants to produce fruit in you for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Would you open up your hands all over the room? Would you just say with me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Glenn, forgive me for the moments when I try to be somebody else's conscience, somebody else's Holy Spirit. 
Forgive me for the moments where I've let faith stay inward and not let it work itself out. Forgive me. God, I confess that I need your grace. And I want your grace through faith by the power of the Spirit to produce fruit in us. May we be a church that bears good fruits in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world, Lord. That many will see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pastor Jason, come on up and close us tonight. Thank you, church. God bless you.